I want to take a second to remind you to sign up for the Poso Daily Brief. It is completely free. It'll be one email that's sent to you every day. You can stop the endless scrolling trying to find out what's going on in your world. We will have this delivered directly to you totally for free. Go to humanevents.com slash Poso. Sign up today. It's called the Poso Daily Brief. Read what I read for show prep. You will not regret it. Humanevents.com slash Poso. Totally free. The Poso Daily Brief. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Uh, today we have on Libby Emmons, the editor of the Post Millennial, the editor of humanevents.com, my boss at humanevents.com. <laughs> Libby, I have a question for you, not as a boss, you know, but more of as a friend and someone who I think is is knowledgeable about certain things. And maybe that's my mistake for thinking that. But, um, you know, I look at these stories about the decline in relationships, birth rates are down, dissatisfaction um, in in youth, the dating scene just seems like an absolute mess. Here's my qu- here's my thing. What is wrong with American women? What is going on? Explain this to me. Oh my goodness, that is quite that is quite the question. What is wrong with American women? And there's certainly plenty wrong with American men. Uh, I will say that as well. So I do think that there's a too much gambling, too much, way too much porn. I think I think porn is a big problem. Um, And I think we've we've seen that. So what is wrong with American women? I think American women have absolutely no idea what they want in life. I think they don't know what they want in relationships. And I think that they are holding themselves to conflicting expectations and do not know which master to serve. What do you mean by conflicting expectations? Conflicting expectations. So you have the expectations that were laid out primarily by the feminist movement and the Cosmo girl of the 1980s and the careerist of the 90s and then the follow your dreams bliss of the early 2000s. So we look at all of this and what does that tell you? That tells you that you are supposed to be powerful and strong and independent and imaginative and dreamy all rolled into one. And then you also have the expectations of creating a family and being a mother and securing your home and providing security and having love and a foundation to build a family on. These two things are in direct conflict. Uh, I have not yet met a woman who has been able to achieve both, though most women that I meet tell you that you can do it all. I do not think that you can do it all at at all. I don't think that's even remotely possible. I saw an interview several years ago with Condoleezza Rice, who was the Secretary of State under um, George Bush, and who I think is actually a pretty amazing woman. And she was talking about her relationship with her students um, when she was a professor at Stanford. And she told her students that there are phases to life, and you can have everything, but you can't have everything all at once. And I thought that that was interesting as well. Um, This idea that you can have a career, but you can't have a career and be a mother at the same time. And Valerie Jarrett, who worked in the Obama administration, was also on that program and was talking about how she would not have been able to have her career um, in the White House while she had young children and that she was only really able to have that career when she was older, when her children had, had grown up. But but Condoleezza Rice never married and had no kids. That's correct. That's why you have to take what she says with a, a little bit of extra salt. Just so maybe even it, some it, MSG. It, 
Right. And well, maybe. And to be, uh, I'll, I'll be charitable here. Maybe she was mm-hmm. in, in a sense trying to say, um, I, I went all in too much and didn't set up, see my life as phases. And I tried to just take one thing and put all of my emphasis into that and did not try to balance it out to the point where there is a time for career and there is a time for family life. She completely, obviously, as we know, and, and for a lot of women of that generation, I think as well, just completely eschewed family life whatsoever. And mm-hmm. you, you see this, um, many of these, these childless leaders, um, that are around even today, um, who in many cases, I'm trying to look up when was she born? She was born in 54. She knew some of the girls that died in the Birmingham church bombing. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and she talks about that a lot that cause she was, she's from Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, Kamala Harris is someone who, okay. So she, you know, she got married to someone who had his, his children, but she has no children of her own. Um, you can see, you can see this in a variety of examples. Hillary Clinton just has one child. Hillary Clinton has one child. And so there is this, this sort of sense that the, these, the feminist movement in, even, even when you look at some of the the biggest names that are associated with it, they themselves do not have families. And I think that that's something where, and, and by the way, I, I, I say it on the show all the time. And so for all the ladies out there listening, uh, men are in an absolute state of shock right now, a state of decline. Uh, men are totally messed up, but that's not what we're talking about today because, you know, we spend an awful lot of time these days talking about women's rights, but we don't talk a lot about women's wrongs. You know what I'm saying? Well, you know what I'm saying? I, had a, I could I could give you a, um, so an example from my life that I've always found to be rather interesting. My mother and my father split up before I was one year old, and I grew up with my father. I lived with my father. He was my primary caregiver. I visited with my mom. I saw her um, when they lived in the same city. When we all lived in D.C., I saw her on weekends and things like that. I don't quite remember what their custody arrangement was, but um, my dad and I moved to Massachusetts where his family was from. And my mom moved to New York City, which began my um, love of that city. But I only saw my mom on school holidays. I saw her on summer breaks. I saw her on alternating Christmas and Thanksgiving holidays. Um, And that's the only time I saw her family as well. My grandma, my great grandma, Um, you know, my cousins and stuff in Brooklyn. And my dad remarried when I was six years old, six years old, something like that. Yeah. So my mom was an attorney. She had this amazing career. She had worked for the SEC. Uh, She's really quite brilliant and had, uh, you know, worked in law for her whole career. My father remarried when I was six years old and remarried a woman who was um, the receptionist at his law firm, uh, fell in love with her. And she was substantially younger. She was like 10 years younger than him. And she really wanted to have a family. All she wanted was to be a mom. She had wanted to be a mom her whole life. Uh, She had, you know, I was around. She took to raising me. She's the one who I can thank for uh, making sure that I was Catholic. I was baptized Catholic when I was seven under her direction. 
Um, and I was able to, yeah, take part in the church in a life, uh, a, li- a life of sacraments, which I'm extremely grateful for. Um, my mom was in New York. She was pursuing relationships. She had um, not a ton of boyfriends, but she had a couple boyfriends that I remember specifically. Um, and my stepmom, it turned out, was unable to have children. So the woman in my life who most wanted to be a mother was unable to have natural children. The woman in my life who was a mother eschewed motherhood, uh, didn't really seem to want any part of it. Eventually, she and my dad adopted my brother, um, which I'm, of course, very grateful for and has informed my view on abortion 100 percent because I'm so grateful to my brother's mother. But both of these women in my life considered themselves to be feminists. My mom and my stepmom, they both thought that. Uh, They were both relatively leftist, which in the 80s was fairly conservative anyway. You know, it's not necessarily like the progressivism of today, for sure. But my stepmother fully resented my mom for having been able to birth a child and then not raising the child. And my mom eventually, I think to a certain extent, resented my stepmom for taking the place of a mother. Um, And there was definitely a conflict between what these women wanted and what these women sought. And they both looked at the other with a mix of resentment and envy. So looking at that as I was growing up, I was proud of my mom and her accomplishments. You know, she's this career woman. She lives in New York like all of this wonderful, you know, she had money. And it wasn't until I had my own son um, later in life, I think I was 35 when he was born, but it wasn't until I had my own son that I realized what my mother had given up and how much I wish she hadn't given that up. And I started to have my own resentment about that, which I don't think I had Prior to that, I mean, if you ask my playwriting professor from Columbia, he would say, yes, you were fully resentful of your mom because he was always telling me that. But anyway, I didn't realize uh, it. (laughs) When when you become a parent for the first time, you you look on your childhood a lot differently. And Mm -hmm. you you suddenly see your parents in this whole other light where, you know, your whole life you've been thinking of them as the people that are constantly boxing you in, the people are constantly telling you no, the people who are saying, you know, why are you out so late, et cetera, et cetera. And then you realized that it was because they love you that much through that love that should anything bad happen to you, it would absolutely devastate and crush them. And oh, it's, yeah, I could not, it's horribly destructive. You think about on a, absolutely frequent basis of something bad happening to your children. And we have a, obviously a biological and spiritual imperative to protect our children. And so, you know, I, I remember like, I actually, I actually went to, after, after my first son was born, uh, I actually was having just, just those feelings and, and was rethinking a lot of things. And I went to my parents and I said, I just want to clear the air on some of these things. And at times where I got mad at you or, times when, you know, I talked back when I was a teenager, et cetera. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry that, and, and that's life, right? You don't, you can't know. You can't, you, you know, you can't know when you're in the moment and you want to be rebellious and, you know, my, you know, me being rebellious was like growing my hair out and, um, you know, going to concerts in Philly, like that's, you know, probably, probably in the grand scheme of things, it's not that much of a rebellion to be honest. 
Um, it's actually a commodity these days, but you know, it's, it's, and I've, I've generally always had a pretty good relationship with my parents, but it, it was definitely something that I went back and looked at and said, you know what? I, I get it now. I, I get it. You know? And, um, my mom said something to me once where she said that, uh, I was like, I can't, I can't believe, you know, Jack Jack's walking. I can't believe, you know, I, I, it blew my mind that, you know, this, this, this infant who used to just like sit in whatever spot you left him in was now mobile and had the ability to walk around. It mm-hmm. just blew my mind. It was like a superpower. And then she said, do you think that's good? Wait till he starts driving. <laughs> right. And then, and then it made me think it's like, Oh, I see now. So every time I got behind the wheel, you were, you were scared. Something might happen to me. And I, and, yeah, my son is 13 now, you know, it may have come across mm-hmm. as, as anger, but now I realize that it was, it was, no, it's just, you're like, your parents love you that much. Your mom loved you. My mom loved me. And it, and it, and she was worried about me. That's, that's all it was. That's yeah. All it was. yeah. I mean, and you're talking about something too, where your mom had to trust you, right. To do the right thing. And had to trust that her parenting had been enough, had given you the tools that you need um, to go out there and live your life and to make responsible choices. And I think when we talk about what's going on with relationships today, we are missing a huge trust factor. That's so important. And what we need is, you know, when you fall in love, if you're going to fall in love, if you're going to fall in love and raise a family, you need to trust that you are falling in love with someone who is going to value your heart value your person, value your offspring together, uh, help you create a secure lifestyle in which to raise those children, value your opinion, all of these things. And I think also we have moved so far away from the concept of a traditional family. And this is someone, you know, I come from generations of divorce. uh, And I look at my life and I say, you know, no wonder you're divorced. (laughs) Like, You come from generations of divorce. How do you even know how to put together a stable family? My son asked me once, how am I going to have a stable marriage if I, if everyone's been divorced in my life? And I said, well, we're, you know, we'll work on it because <laughs> I would like that for you. What well, you I, need I, when you fall I, in love, like you need to trust someone to, you need to trust. And we don't have a lot of trust among each other now. And there's well, this constant idea that you can just like, uh, spin off your desire and just, oh, I desire something else now. You know, let me go exactly. pursue that. It's so, it's, and it's that's exactly plastic, the wrong perspective. We have disposable mm-hmm. relationships. And what we'll do mm-hmm. is we'll use these these words that I feel like we, we never should have even started saying these words in the first place. Words like gaslighting, words like narcissism, because mm-hmm. every single time I hear this, I'll hear, I'll, I'll say, I hear this all the time. Oh my, well, he was a narcissist. Oh, well, uh, he was gaslighting me. Oh, well, you know, he was this, he was that. It's like, no, I'm sorry. Not every guy is doing that. Right. But in many cases, what you're doing is you're creating a false justification in your mind so that your own decisions in retrospect, your own decisions and your own actions weren't actually the causes of the relationship to fall apart or whatever argument that led to the relationship, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's no, it's, it's, it goes back to what you're just saying right here. It goes back to an underlying lack of trust and a lack Mm -hmm. of being willing to actually commit to something because you look at what the words we use today for relationships, that if you and everything, right? If you if you show earnestness 
at all in something. Either you're either either you're being cringe or you're being a simp. So, and if you say, oh, I say, well, I think that's great. I really like that. Ugh, you're such a you're such a simp. Oh, that's so cringe, right? You know. And it's like, well, how do you have a relationship if everything is simp and cringe? The other thing is, how do you have a relationship if you don't care about your promises, right? Mm -hmm. So when you make a promise, when you stand there before God and everyone and you say, you know, I'm going to be with you this whole time. If your promise comes to nothing and if you're willing to let your promise come to nothing, if you if you undertake that promise with the idea that you can throw it away um, as soon as you're you know, whim changes, then that's not a promise. Um, and that's a, you know, that's a real, that's a real tragedy. I think the decline in marriage is a real tragedy. The decline in two parent households, I think is a real tragedy. The decline in men feeling like they need to lead a family. And I think this is a mistake. Um, we talk a lot about this in our culture. We're so well, advanced men have been and whatever told else. They, they shouldn't lead families. Men have been told they shouldn't be the leader. They have. And that is, that's, that's really such a mistake. Um, I think families probably work best when there is trust, uh, mutual caring, when the promises are valued, and when each person in the family knows what their job is, right? Like you can't go into work if you're not the boss and suddenly start telling everyone what to do. If you're not the secretary or whatever, you can't go into work and start, you know, mucking around at that person's desk. Everybody has a role to do. Everyone has a role to play. And I think that a man needs to be the spiritual leader of the family and needs to make sure that his wife feels secure and safe and cared for so that she can take care of him, take care of the home, and take care of the children without feeling like the bottom is going to just drop out underneath her at any moment. How can you raise a stable family? How can you make sure that your home is tidy and cared for if you're worried that the man hasn't been paying the mortgage but is telling you that he has been? Or if you're worried that the man has been, you know, telling you he's going to work, but really he lost his job six months ago and he hasn't been to the office since. Or if you're worried that this man who you have put all your trust in is actually, you know, getting it on with somebody else and potentially bringing diseases home or fathering children elsewhere. Uh, squandering your money, squandering your trust. A man needs to lead the family and be strong. A uh, man needs to make sure that his family gets to church. And in this way, what he is doing is he is giving strength to his equal partner, who is the woman who has a different job, right? Um, and the man needs to provide that strength so that the woman can provide strength for him as well. Women, I would say, you know, I'm sure I would get canceled for this or whatever, but women want to take care of their man. They want to take care of their children. They want to feel valued in that way. And the way that you can do that best is when you know that the man is taking care of you, right? When you know that things are stable, when you have an understanding of what's going on. Um, I think that's really important. And I think it's overlooked in our culture. And I think that, you know, I think that that's sad and I think it leads to decline. Go back to, go back to what you were saying before. Like you were saying. It is, yeah. it is discouraged. It is the strong, independent woman, the career, the career girl, the girl boss, that entire personality narrative gimmick agenda is, is pushed because at the end of the day, you're not being independent and, um, and, and career minded. What you're doing is you're becoming you're going into servitude for a company. You're going into That's servitude right. 
different, another organization and organization, but here's the biggest difference. And, and someone said this to me when I was, when I was just going to actually said to me at Guantanamo Bay, believe it or not, uh, senior chief I had down there, he said, he said, you know something, one day the Navy will just replace you. You will, you will, you'll work as many years or serve as many years as you do in the Navy and you'll, you'll have whatever great war stories and, and different, you know, missions and, and things that, that happen. And, uh, you know, got some good ones and that at the, but at the end of the day, they'll give you a gold watch, they'll give you a nice lunch and then they'll, and then you'll walk away and they'll find someone else to warm your seat. And, and what does it say that we have replaced the terms husband and wife with the term partner and instead we're encouraging like it's a law the firm. opposite, right? And, but we're also not encouraging a partnership. We're encouraging no. two people to walk parallel next to each other to oh, not that's hold right. hands. As if it's interchangeable. And it's not interchangeable at all. No, um, your family family is what is there for you at the end of the day, at the end of your life. Your family is what is there for you to to tuck you in, to be with you in the morning, to be with you in the small hours, to through thick and thin. And mm -hmm. if you so believe, as I know you and I do, that in, in the afterlife, your family is what you take with you. It's not your money. It's not your possessions, not your material goods. It is, it is the people and the love that you, that you make in this world and specifically your family, really only your family. Uh, and, and hopefully, and as, as a dad, you know, I think as well, not only do I have to get my kids through this world, I have to get into the next one and well, my family, get my whole family into the next one. So it's, 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 you know, a lot it's a lot but at the same time if you if you run away from that if you run away from it you you're losing something and that's why i know we're sort of at the end here but we had that story recently where there was that dad down in north carolina with there were this crazy crazy guy down the street started opening fire at his family and the little girl poor little girl six years she was, I guess, a piece of a bullet fragment, I guess, grazed her cheek. So she had to get stitches there. The mom, I think something in her arm. But what the mother had said was that the dad ran down the street and put himself. This is William White is his name. And is, we've, we've been sharing out his GoFundMe. I did verify with the family that this is real. He ran down the street, put himself in the line of fire, used his body as a shield and took it's unclear if it was one or two shots in the back that were intended for his daughter. No one forced him to do that. Nobody was, was, you know, Hey, Hey Bill, you got to go do that. No, no. You know what you have to do. Yeah. I have mad respect for that guy. That's and what dads are supposed to do. You know what they say? Um, Gene Hackman has an old quote. He said, uh, what's, what's the difference between a hero and a coward? One step but, sideways. Oh, ouch. And that's an old quote, but it literally applies in this case. Mm-hmm. That a cow yeah. one step sideways. You took that one step sideways, your your daughter. I she's mean, gone. Yeah. And then how do she's you live gone. with yourself? You can't live with yourself after that. No. No. So I mean, uh, you know, I've I've said it before, I'll say it again, that when it comes to your family, and that's when, when in the Bible it says, it says women women must must follow their husbands, right? Do it says that men is the leader, but then it also says that men lo men must love their 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 wives. And leave their, fam their families and cleave to their wives. 
and then love the families as Jesus loved the church. Mm-hmm. And what did Jesus do? Like, sacrifice himself. Yeah. Full mass, all of it. It's all sacrifice. And so what, it, what it's telling fathers is that, hey, this is part of the deal. That if that check comes one day, this is part of the deal. Libby Emmons, mm-hmm. final words before we sign off on this fantastic episode. Despite all the madness, trust, vulnerability, partnership in marriage and raising a family is worth it. And it's better than a career. Amen. Libby Emmons of the postmillennialhumanevents.com. Make sure you go follow her. Sign up for the ad-free option. It's only a couple of bucks a month after you have subscribed to Human Events Daily here on Apple, Spotify, Rumble, wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay short.